This is another interview brought to you by TheBatmanUniverse.net. Hi, this is Stephen Hill, game director on Batman Arkham Asylum. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, I'm Brandon Vietti, director of Under the Red Hood. Hi, this is Gail Simone. Hi, this is James Tucker. Hi, I'm Dan Jurgens. Hi, this is Bruce Tim. This is Michael Jelinek from The Brave and the Bold. Hi, this is Andrea Romano. Hi, my name's Dan DeDeal. Hi, my name's Claiborne Moore with the C.S. Moore Studio. Hi, this is Jim Lee. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, it's Sean DiMaggio. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast. All right, everybody. Today we have with us a guy who's worked on Batman comics a lot in the past. He was actually for about eight years working on one Batman comic or another. He is an artist that's done a bunch of different stuff, but worked on Batman earlier in his career. We have Norm Brayfogle with us, so welcome, Norm. Thank you. Happy to be here. The first thing we want to do is just give us an idea of the different stuff that you worked on when you were working on Batman titles. Well, first I started on Detective Comics. And then uh, about a year or two later, I was Alan Grant and I moved over to Batman. And then about a year after that, I think it was, we moved over to a new title, Batman Shadow of the Bat, which lasted for me for almost a year. And then I, I had been on Batman Comics at that point for, I guess it was six or seven years. And the industry was really opening up wide, and there were a lot of opportunities. This was in the early 90s. And Malibu Comics wanted me really bad, and they made me an offer that I couldn't really refuse, and I was happy to do something different than Batman after six years, so I took it. We read online that you co-created with Grant the Ventriloquist and Mr. Saz. Was there any other characters that you guys co-created? I tend to think that Alan Grant created all those characters, but since I was the first one to visualize them, I'm considered the co-creator as well. I guess just about every new character that we worked on that Alan Grant came up with and that I illustrated for the first time, we were co-creators of, like... Anarchy and Zaz and some of the other characters. It's been so long, it's hard to remember. Cadaver, uh, the Corrosive Man, okay. who's basically, I, I would really like to see the Corrosive Man meet Dr. Phosphorus. I don't know if they've ever done that. They may have done it in the last 15 years or so. Who knows? But I always thought that would be a neat thing to see. It's about all the characters. I know that there were a whole lot of them. There was a whole slew of them, and I'm not recalling offhand. But And the reason that was was because Alan Grant has said in interviews, he told me to that he wasn't receiving Batman comics, and he wasn't familiar with the continuity at the time, and so he didn't want to get involved with continuity, and he didn't want to use characters that other writers were using, so he just created a whole bunch of his own. I was kind of disappointed at the time, because I was looking forward to drawing the classic characters, you know, so I hardly ever got to really draw many of the classic characters, especially at first, until we moved over to Batman, and I drew a bit, bit more of them. But um, looking back on it now, I'm glad that he did create a whole bunch of new ones, because it, kind of made more of a permanent impression on the Batman mythos, if you ask me. Yeah, especially since some of them actually, well, a good a good majority of them actually stuck and have been explored in different variations, especially the ventriloquist even showing up on Batman the Animated Series, and then Mr. Saz showing up on in Batman Begins. It's got to make I, it... I, I remember when I first saw read the ventriloquist script that Alan sent me. I was floored that nobody had used that idea for Batman before because it's such a classic horror character, you know. Mm-hmm. And it even done, and done in movies. It was done in a movie called Dead of Night. The same character in a horror manner was used in a Twilight Zone episode with Cliff Robertson. 
And then there was the novel and the movie Magic with Anthony Hopkins. So it was it was amazing that nobody had thought of doing that for Batman before until Alan did it. Yeah, you know, Norm, back in the, the period right there that you were talking about, like the late 80s, early 90s, you were doing comics right when the, the 89 Batman film came in, and the industry just seemed to have just taken off. What were your impressions of that period right there? Well, in a lot of ways, I guess it's the height of my career. I remember going to comic book conventions almost once a month while I was meeting my deadlines, which to me now is amazing. I guess that's the energy of being in my 20s back then, <laughs> and seeing crowds, lines lining up for me that went around the block. The kind of stuff that, you know, Todd McFarlane or Jim Lee get these days. Yeah, I, those were great days. They uh, made my reputation in the comics industry in a lot of ways. One of the, the things that you know, a lot of the fans that are now that are around my age that are in the 30s, we, we grew up with you. We grew up seeing your artwork. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but a lot of the first Batman posters that were in comic book stores were of your Batman the one where he's looking over the city and it's just like his cape coming out and the citizens are below. That was one of the first Batman posters to really be in comic book stores. I didn't know that that was one of the first. I don't know which what would be the first Batman poster ever. It wouldn't have been Dark Knight one from Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, would it? It was actually a Neil Adams one. <laughs> a Neil Adams poster oh, okay. was out there. I don't there. know if I ever saw that. Norm. Well, Describe it for me, the image that Neil Adams did for that poster. I don't remember seeing that ever. It was the basic one, I believe, from the 70s, where he's just coming off, like, it looks like the side of a, of a rooftop. Uh-huh. And it's just Batman looking, like, just looking over the rooftop. And he has... I might recognize it again, then, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a pretty fa- it's a pretty famous pose. I know, that of, he- I know of two Batman posters that were made out of my artwork. There may have been more, I don't know, but I know of them. Personally, I, I can only recall two offhand. The one that you described where Batman is in the foreground, seen from behind, holding his cape out, and he's casting a giant shadow on all the people below, that was actually a poster done as an advertisement, at least I was told that it was done as an advertisement for the new Batman series that we were working on, Shadow of the Bat. The other one that I know of was one that was actually originally painted, I was told that it was for Holy Terror, the prestige format book that I did. And instead, it was used as just a general Batman comics sale poster. But you can tell that it's for Holy Terror because his ears had the Holy Terror kink in them that I had illustrated. Oh, yes. I never saw that poster. Yeah, that one was a full-color painting. I I was really lucky. Alan and I were both really lucky in a way because we were drawing Batman at the same time that the Batman movies came out. Now, comics don't generally increase a huge amount in sales to do that in a movie, and there wasn't a giant increase. We were doing pretty well already, but over the period of that time when the first Batman movies came out, we did reach a regular 300,000 plus mark on the sales, which are it's a, it's an incredible sales numbers these days. I think it even went higher than that. I don't remember exactly. I had been waiting for a Batman movie all my life. I, I, I thought that Batman, just like any other Batman fan, had never been done right on film, and that with the modern techniques, that it would be able to be done right. So I'd been waiting for what seemed to me a lifetime, but it had only actually been about 10 years since I'd first heard of the possibility of a new Batman film. But at, as, at a younger age, of course, that seems like a long time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it came out, when it came out, it did. I guess it did impact us in a lot of ways. It was neat to be working on the character during that time. I wasn't particularly happy with the Batman movies myself. Batman's the hardest character to do to be put on film, if you ask me, because he's, he's got to be the right mixture of realism and fantasy, and that's a really difficult mix to pull off. Yeah. Especially without fantastic special effects, because you can't do that much with Batman, you know? He's a guy in a costume, and he doesn't have any superpowers, so 
you can't enhance them the way you can Spider-Man or Iron Man or, or the Hulk. So special effects can't really carry the day. It has to be done with character and with martial arts and with mood. And those are all much more difficult to pull off well. So well, since you mentioned that, what's your feeling of uh, the, the newer ones, the, the Nolan-verse, which is basically Batman Begins in the Dark Knight? How did you feel they depicted it in that in those two movies? Well, they're getting, they're getting better. <laughs> they're getting better. It, it's still difficult to pull off because, you know, you can't use his cape in the way that you can in the comics or in animation. In animation and in, and in comics, you can control the cape. You can elongate it to any length you want. You can make it look more like a bat. It becomes a very strong design element. If you notice in the last Batman film, which is the best one, The Dark Knight, the cape is rarely ever really used, except when it goes flying, which, which is actually an element that I don't like because it's just not physically feasible. If Batman's going to fly, it, no matter what, if I've got this memory fabric, it still wouldn't work because his arms aren't long enough, his arms aren't strong enough to hold the cape down. That's just a, a physical fact. The human body cannot take that kind of pressure. Also, it's just around his neck. It's not structured the way... If you, if you compare him, Batman, flying with his memory fabric cape to a guy using a hang glider, you'll see immediately that it's just really ridiculous. He wouldn't be able to pull that off. But that's the only time you see Batman using his cape in any really dramatic way. Other than that, it's always kind of behind him and... They make sure that it doesn't get in the way, which is, would be the main problem in reality with that character, which is illustrative of what's so difficult about putting Batman on film. This is one of the things, you know, it's the cape. But also the martial arts. They have, if you ask me, the best scenes that they've done in the Batman, martial arts-wise, were when he wasn't in costume, when he was being trained by Rachel Ghoul. Because then he could move freely, and you could see the moves. When they were fighting on the ice, for instance, that was great stuff. But then whenever you see Batman in action, they... They do a lot of quick cuts, there's a lot of darkness, you can't really see, and when you do see it, he looks a little awkward because he's got all this armor on and he can't really move that well. That's another thing that kind of bothers me. They put too much armor on him, they always have. But anyway, I could go on and on about that. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, let me I, ask I think you. they're getting closer. I think they're getting closer, and one of these days we're going to get something that I'll consider to be the perfect Batman film. I don't know when. Maybe it'll be another 20 years from now. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Norton... Between fans, we've always discussed, like, you have put out there a lot of the concept art of Batman and Robin. Have you ever pitched any of your ideas, like the costume changes to DC, and to oh, see if it can work, like in a book? All the costume changes, all the costume designs that I've done for Batman and Robin were commissioned by DC. God, but never used in a, in, but never used in a, in a comic, because, well, I know the comic book, the gallery comic book that did come out. Yeah. Did, the Batman did, gallery, Dark Knight gallery, right. it was called, I think. They used to them there, some of them, not all of them. I, I actually came up with a lot of Robin costumes and a lot more Batman costumes, too. In fact, I came up with more variations than anybody else did. In fact, I overdid it, if you ask me now. Yeah, those were commissioned. The Batman costume, they asked a number of artists to come up with different Batman designs. These were in two different years. Robin was designed, I think, uh, a couple years earlier. Anyway, they asked the artist, uh, a number of artists to come up with different Batman designs. And many of us asked questions like, okay, well, can we go all black like in the movie? And we told by editorial, no, don't do that. We want to have a, have more continuity with the traditional Batman costume. So all of us came up with different designs with Batman using some gray, yellow utility belt and things like that. And they didn't go with any of them. Instead, after they'd seen all the designs, they told us all, well, just use the Batman costume from the movie. So we went all black, which is funny because a lot of us would have done that anyway. The Robin costumes, there was a lot more variety with the Robin costumes. I can't remember all the artists that they hired to come up with different designs, but there were 
well, just about any kind of variety you can think of. Jim McCarroll came up with some pretty radical ones. Neil Adams and I were thinking along the similar lines in terms of a light inside of the cape and a dark outside of the cape, and some of the other artists were too. We ended up going with Neil Adams' design, which I think was the best design, although some of my elements got into it too. The R was redesigned on Robin's costume to look a lot like one of the R's that I designed. Adams was just using the traditional, you know, capitalized R. So anyway, those were done by the request of DC Comics. Have you ever approached them to maybe doing an issue with any of one of your designs, as far as doing it in a story? Oh yeah. Last year, I contacted the editor-in-chief of DC Comics, Dan Didio, and just to introduce myself, because I don't think we had actually ever spoken, and to inquire as to whether or not DC had any work for me. And Dan suggested that Alan and I do a Batman miniseries, like Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers did a couple years earlier. And I said, okay, well, I wasn't even going to post you about that. I thought DC didn't want any more of my Batman work because I'd been on it for so long or whatever. I've never really been able to figure out what that was. So I contacted Alan, and Alan was reluctant to come up with anything because he had had a lot of pitches over the last 10 years rejected by DC, so he had given up even pitching anything to them anymore because, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort, and then you just get rejected. What's the point? Especially if it happens over and over again. But I told him that Dan DiDio had suggested this, and so it sounded like a pretty sure thing. And so Alan worked up an idea, utilizing my Batman and Robin costume designs, <laughs> as a matter of fact, and pitched it to DC, and they rejected it without any real explanation for why. They just said they didn't like it, even though I thought it was great. Alan thought it was great. Everybody I've showed it to has thought it was great. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Unless there's a regime change at DC Comics, I don't see how... Alan and I will ever be doing any more Batman again because Alan's not going to be able to be talked into among us with more proposals, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of fans from the 90s, they actually, you know, we I think we miss your artwork. We kind of thirst for that. DC and Marvel both know that I'm readily available for them. I've approached them many times, and I'm getting no bites, so I don't know what has happened there. Well, I was never a real insider. I mean, I was, I was working on their, one of their top titles, but I was living all the way on the West Coast, and most of them were on the East Coast, and I, I was never really part of the Good Boys Club, or whatever you call it. I've always been friendly and respectful of people. I don't know. I've, over the years, I've come up with like nine different possible reasons why DC lost interest in me, and I don't know if any of them are correct. Any, it ranges from page rates to cronyism to politics to who knows what else, and I've just not been able to come up with any definite reasons. I feel like I'm still in my creative prime here, and I'm still getting work on, in the comics industry, just not for the for the major companies. And I have been all along. I seem to have a fan base, and my work is better now than it was when I was drawing Batman, and yet DC and Marvel are not interested, so I, I don't really understand it. Well, you do have a fan base, I will tell you that. <laughs> well, that's nice to hear, thanks. One of the pieces of work that you worked on, a lot of people recognize when they, they see it is that classic image of Batman. It was basically like a modernization of Batman number nine that was that Bob Kane did, where Batman's right, standing. Spotlight. Yeah, the spotlight and you know, the brand new Robins sitting there. What really convinced you to do like a modernization of that that Bob Kane drawing? Well, I don't really know after all these years. I can't recall for sure if an editor suggested me utilizing an old Batman comic cover and updating it or if it was my idea. I can't really say. I do remember going through, I think what I went through was 1970s published book Batman from the 40s, from the 30s to the 70s. 
and looking at all the covers and choosing that one. Or maybe I found that cover somewhere else. But I do remember looking for that cover and choosing that cover. But I don't know if the actual idea to use an old cover at all was originally mine or if it was Dan Raspler's or Danny O'Neill's or, or whatnot. I can't, re can't recall after all this time. It's the only cover that I think I've ever done that for on any title anywhere, as a matter of fact. Well, no, that's not true. The first cover of Prime was also a ripoff of the first cover of Superman featured in Action Comics. So I did do it one other time for a different company, Malibu Comics. Now, during that time where pretty much the mid-time that you were working with DC on Batman, they brought in the new Tim Drake, Robin. I know we talked about the, the d different concepts, costumes for Robin. Was that around the same exact time before they introduced yeah. Tim Drake? That was exactly why we, a number of artists were asked to redesign Robin, because it was being planned for in the storyline by Marv Wolfman, actually, although Alan Grant was the one who actually wrote these, these story issue because the stories were crossing over from Batman to Detective, and Alan just happened to get the, the issue where... Robin's costume was designed, or unless they planned that, I don't really remember. So I got to draw Robin first in the Neil Adams costume design. And yes, we, we were asked to design these costumes for that appearance, for the new Robin. Now I know that Al, Alan Grant was a little disappointed when he heard that Tim Drake was going to be the new Robin because he was grooming Lonnie Mocklin, who was Anarchy, to be the new Robin. He was hoping that he was going to be the new Robin. Yeah. And that would have been really neat, but it didn't work out. In yes. a way, it worked out better because... Anarchy had a little bit more of a career after that on his own anyway. So Yeah, he had a little bit of career, and he's actually being brought back up in the comics next month. Really? Yeah, in the Robin comics, he's actually appearing as the main villain. That's interesting. I wasn't aware of that. It's, al it's always interesting to me whenever they use Anarchy, because they use him so little, and he's so subversive, and I always want to know if they're going to do him right. Because that was one of, the <laughs> one of my nine possible reasons that Alan and I can get work at DC was of the subversive quality of anarchy because he was like no other mainstream comics character ever in terms of his anti-establishment philosophy. So we've often wondered if maybe it, that had something to do with our getting canned at DC too. Don't know, just speculation. Right. So we're always very interested whenever anarchy is, is used again to see if, how he's used and if he's used correctly. I know for uh, a lot of fans, I mean, you know, we hope that, you know, you, you guys can somehow get some work with DC because we, we really do miss you. We, we miss that early beginning from when, from my, my period when we were growing up collecting the comics and when they exploded, we were still enjoying your guys' stuff. I mean, we were buying it every month and reading it every month. And it was, it's, it was such an enjoyment and such a fond memory that when you speak to Batman fans, they're like, oh, yeah, Norm, we, yeah, we love that guy, you know? <laughs> Whatever happened to them? Yeah, well, if you, if you stop working for Marvel or DC to the majority of fans, especially in America, you're off their, their radar screen and they don't know what you're doing. But I've been working steadily all along since my last regular gig at DC. Monthly gig was The Spectre. That was in 2001. I've been working in comics regularly since then for other companies. Uh, yeah, I would be happy. You know, I'd prefer the visibility of working for DC or Marvel if I, when I work in comics. I mean, I've got work outside of comics, too illustration work outside of comics, but when I do draw comics, you know, it would be ideal to be able to get that kind of visibility. But, you know, that's not up to me. That's up to Marvel and DC, and you can only pitch so many things and have them rejected before you just give up, because it's it's effort, you know, to come up with new ideas and then to have them shot down, what's the point? One of the questions that one of our listeners wanted us to ask you is, 
out of the different Batman series that you worked on, including your one-shots, which one would you pick as your favorite one that you worked on? I always get asked that question. It's always difficult. Whatever project I'm working on at the time, that's my most important project. And so I feel kind of that way about almost all my projects. And there are a number of different Batman storylines that I really like probably better than others. I like the Batman in... An American Batman in London storyline. I think that was in Detective Comics. That was in the first or second year that Alan and I were doing Batman. A lot of people point to Holy Terror, and that that was a seminal book for me too. Although my inking hadn't really gotten up to snuff yet at that point, so I don't usually name that. I usually go for Batman Dreamland, which was the last Batman project I did for DC, because I think my inking was much more mature at that point. That was a sequel to Batman: The Abduction. In Batman Dreamland, he broke into Area 51 to find, well, he, he was actually working on a murder case, but incidentally, he was kind of coming up against alien evidence for alien technology and UFOs and civilizations and such like that. So that would probably must be my favorite one. Although, another one which didn't really turn out to be much of a Batman book, although it, obviously it is a Batman book, was The Birth of the Demon, which was the origin of Rachel Rule, which was fully painted by me, or at least I used full color inking techniques, and that was probably the one, the single project that I put the most effort in and learned the most on, and so I often name that one as my favorite one. The only problem with that one is that Batman hardly appeared in it at all. Most of it took place hundreds of years ago when Ray Ghul was a young man, and I had no idea that that was going to be the case. <laughs> when I took on the, the project, I was thinking, wow, I'm going to be able to get to draw Batman in a, in a graphic novel, you know, and fully paint it. I thought it was going to be something like that. But it turned out to be kind of ideal that it was fully painted because the desert scenes lend themselves well to color interpretations. They're a lot more boring if they're just done in black and white with color added later. So I really enjoyed that project. I think I might name that as my favorite Batman project. Okay, and then the second part of their question was, out of all the characters that you guys actually came up with, which ones were your favorite? In terms of their their basic characters, I like the ventriloquist and anarchy. Uh, Anarchy is more important me, so I think I would choose Anarchy because of his, his uniqueness in terms of his political philosophy being presented in a comic book for the first time. The Ventriloquist is such a classic Batman character, like I was saying before. I was so amazed that nobody else had come up with it before Alan did, that I always put him up there too. Now, do you keep up with the, the, the current comics at all? No, I can't say that I do. I'm living in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and the nearest comic book store is 200 miles away from me, <laughs> which I almost never see. So, when I go to conventions, which is pretty rarely a few times a year these days, these years, I'll pick up what's out there and just to keep abreast of the styles and see what's going on. And I hear a lot about things that are happening, and but I don't really keep up with them now because I'm not on the DC mailing list anymore. I was on the DC mailing list for like two years after I drew the Spectre, and then. That's how long you're, you remain on it, and then if you haven't done anything new for DC, then, then they end the mailing list. So, yeah, I'm not really in tune with what's going on right now. Okay, well, did you know that DC basically replaced the ventriloquist with a girl? <laughs> no. <laughs> <That's Yeah. funny. laughs> so what, the ventriloquist died or something? Or I, is it cured? I, I'm not positive exactly what the, the Arnold Wesker, I'm not exactly sure what ended up happening to him, but he was replaced. Same Scarface, but the ventriloquist is now a, a person by the name of Peyton Riley, and it's a mob boss's daughter. Huh. Is he related to the original 
Ventriloquist? No, the, she is actually a newer character that's kind of somewhat come out of the Hush storyline that came out a, a couple years right. back. She's kind of matured as having relations with Tommy Elliott slash Hush in the past, and we just found out about that in just the last couple issues, how they had a past. But it was kind of interesting how, like when I picture the Ventriloquist, I always picture the Ventriloquist as if they were showing the Batman the Animated Series because it was it was classic. You can I, I just remember Scarface talking and you know pronouncing every word wrong just because he's got that lisp. Right. Well, the, the new ventriloquist. I assume she does that too, right? Nah, kind of, but it's not the same. It's very, well, is the doll the same character? Yes, it is. They kept yes. the Scarface. Well, that's interesting. Huh. The original comics are still there, and they can always bring back the original characters too. I, personally, I'm not I'm not a real continuity maven or buff or whatever you want to call it. I'm not a continuity cop, and I like the variety, so I'd be willing to take a look at something like that. I was even willing to take a look at You asked me if I'd been keeping in touch with what's going on, and I said a little bit. I, was, I took a look at Frank Miller's and Jim Lee's Batman and Robin title, the first three issues, and I was going, what is this? this is, I know it's a, they can do whatever they want with this title. It's not in regular continuity, but... Why is Batman acting like a thug? I was thinking that he must be acting like that for a specific reason, and that it was just going to pass, but apparently it hasn't, and he's still got that same character. I don't know if I really appreciate that myself. I mean, I'm not big on continuity, but certain things, you know, if you turn, like, for instance, if you turn Superman into a, into a Mr. Miracle type, where he's, or even somebody worse, if you turn him into a bad guy, and you leave him that way permanently, and it's, even if it's only in one title, that would bother me. You know, it's like, it's like, <laughs> I guess this is too, maybe it's too strong of an analogy, but if I were a fervent Christian and somebody did a comic book about Jesus where Jesus was, you know, a bad guy, I'd be kind of upset. And in a way, superheroes are our modern mythology, and the fans of these characters have some really strong feelings for them, not entirely non-analogous with how Christians would feel about Jesus. It's not exactly a religion for us, although you, all of us know some fans who do look at it that way. So I can see how people could be upset, and I have heard that a number of people have been upset about the way Frank Miller's been treating Batman. I can speak from for all the fans who listen to the podcast. All-Star Batman and Robin, the boy wonders, basically, people get it because they really enjoy Jim Lee's artwork. The Frank right. Miller's storyline, not so much, especially the, the last couple issues, because he's taken a little above and beyond what we all expect out of a Batman comic book with the female heroines basically swearing like sailors. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I read something about that. I haven't seen those those issues, though. But I only saw the first, I don't know, four issues or so. But yeah, I heard about what you're talking about. Yeah. It's interesting how <laughs> this industry can treat really talented people like dirt. But if, if you just happen to get big enough, like if you're a Frank Miller or, or, or a Jim Lee, then you're golden. And there's very little in between. You're either dirt or you're golden. <laughs> well, one of the the last questions we want to ask you is, how exactly did you come to actually be working on Batman? Like, how did you end up getting with DC and DC saying, okay, we want you to do Batman? Right, well, let's see. Back in 1984 or so, 85 maybe, I started attending the San Diego Con, and I was showing my artwork in the, in the exhibits that were down there. And Mike Friedrich from Starreach Publications and Starreach Artist Representation Agency, now defunct, 
saw my work. Actually, his girlfriend, Lee Mar, saw my work, and she pointed out to him. And a month or two later, he contacted me and said he wanted to represent me. And I started getting work from through him at various, at first, for instance, doing first comics, doing Bob Violence first and then Whisper for a year. And all that time, I was telling Mike that I really wanted to draw Batman because I'd always wanted to draw Batman more than any other comical character. So he was showing my stuff to people at DC, and I think it was in 80, must have been 86, maybe 85, 85 or 86, Dick Giordano came out to the San Diego Con, and he met me at a neutral location, and I showed him some of my stuff. This is an interview set up by Mike Friedrich, my agent from Starbridge Representation. And he liked my stuff, and shortly thereafter, I started getting Batman work. Apparently, what I was hearing at the time was that a lot of top-name artists didn't want to draw Batman at that time because Frank Miller had made such a big splash with The Dark Knight that everybody thought they would be in a shadow. But, you know, I was a beginning comics artist, and I didn't have a reputation at all yet, and I wanted to work... I hadn't... I'd only done a couple things for Mark, for DC, actually. I'd done a couple of stories in New Talent Showcase a year before. So, and I was had wanted to draw Batman. I didn't care who'd done it before me. I wanted to, I wanted to draw it for my own reasons. So I took the opportunity as soon as it came my way. Norm, let me ask you: Do you have any events that you're planning on attending? And could you tell fans where they can go ahead and reach you and see if you know if you're even selling some of your old Batman artwork or anything? Well, my fans can reach me via my website, which is easy to find if you know my name. You can do a search, and I'm, it's right up there at the top. It's also easy to remember anyway. It's normbrayfogel.com. My email is available on my website, but it's not necessarily as visible, so I could give it right now. That's nbrayfogel at chartermi.net. I do do commissions, although I, my commission list is closed right now because I'm, I've got a lot still to do and I've got regular work right now. So, But it should be opening in springtime. I'd be willing to do more commissions then. You got any upcoming projects you want to tell anybody about, even if it's not having to do with Batman? Well, I'm drawing Archie Comics. Archie's new look, actually. Oh, okay. Archie Publications, they have been publishing for a while now a series of titles called Archie's New Look, where they hire artists from outside of the regular Archie Comics publications fold to draw their characters' stories in their own style. So I'm drawing Archie Comics in my own personal dramatic illustrative style it's interesting and it's a lot more challenging than i expected in fact i've often been reminded over the years that the most difficult thing to draw correctly or draw well is beautiful women and especially beautiful young women because if you use too many lines it makes them look mottled or wrinkled or old and every line must count and it's it's a real challenge it's also a challenge to make basically a comic book out of talking heads mostly talking heads look interesting you know, back when back when I was a fan and I was just drawing my own comics, my own Batman comics or Superman comics or whatever that I was writing on my own, I was really bored with the talking head scenes, and I would try to rush through them in my drawing, and you could tell the backgrounds were really minimalist to get to the action scenes, like most comic fans, you know, action comic fans like to see. And then I would really enjoy drawing the action scenes, and I was like that for a long time. Even when I first started on Batman, I was kind of the same way. But I guess it's been a long enough time now so that I'm professional enough so that I take every page as a challenge. And it doesn't really make much difference to me. I'm really getting into this work, even if they're just talking heads. Because faces are the most difficult thing to draw, frankly. Draw well. And like I said, young teenage faces and teenage girls, they're the most difficult of all. So it's a challenge, and I'm enjoying it. 
Well, that's great. Norm, I want to thank you for coming on and doing the interview with us, and we hope to hear more from you in the future if anything changes and DC decides to finally accept something that you got you and Alan do. That would be nice. Who knows? Maybe someday. Like I said, we might have to wait for a regime change. I don't know. Yeah. And yeah we'll we'll love to see you guys again. Yeah, and that, we never know. That regime change could be coming sooner than we think. With all the, well, the world does seem to be changing at a fast rate these days, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it definitely does. So, th- thanks again, Norm. It was my pleasure. You guys, like you said, you can check him out on his website. His website is normbrayfogel.com. You can check out all of his upcoming news and stuff like that on his website. So You also asked me if I was going to be attending any conventions, and no, I don't have any schedule at present time, but when I do, I put them on my homepage. I put an announcement on my homepage. Okay. So, and I do attend maybe a couple of them a year. All right. It was a pleasure being here. All right. Thanks a lot, Norm. Thank you, Norm.